0: Fans and welcome to another iAnimate podcast. I'm your host, Larry Vasquez, and you're listening to episode 55. In this episode, we got to talk with the one, the only Bruce W. Smith. It was a neat opportunity to talk with Bruce. Um, he's been in the animation industry for quite some time and has worked for such companies as Walt Disney Animation Studios, Don Bluth, and is currently over at Warner Brothers. He's worked as a character designer, uh, storyboards, viz dev, but also as a supervising animator. Um, he worked as a surprising animator on Emperor's New Groove and Dr. Facilier, which was an awesome character on The Princess and the Frog. Um, got to help with the character design on that, and so it was just a really neat opportunity to talk with him um, to get to know his background, how he got into the animation industry, and where he's looking at going. So I'm sure you're definitely going to enjoy this podcast. How are you?
1: I'm good, man. I wish I had more light in here. I probably look kind of sinister right now. Right?
0: <laughs> like uh, Dr. Fel- uh, uh
1: Doctor Fiat, Doctor yeah. There you
0: go. <laughs> right. Sorry, I just jumped on uh, that video where you uh, showed how to to draw him. So yeah, he was in my mind. You're talking about how sinister he was. So yeah, that, right. So that's really really cool. I really just appreciate the you taking the time. That uh, I can't tell you how often we hear um, just hey, thanks for that podcast. Um, you know, because we deal with people around the world, it's always that neat opportunity for them to hear from someone who they normally get to hear from, so.
1: Oh, cool, yes. Uh,
0: so yeah, just really yeah, appreciate you taking the time. Enough. What's that?
1: Uh, I don't know who you've interviewed thus far. I'm, unfortunately, I haven't kept up with the podcast, but.
0: Okay, let's see. Um, we've done one with Clay Cadus. Oh, that's
1: my guy,
0: yeah. Yeah, um, let's see who else you might know. Um, quite a few Disney guys. Um, obviously, Jason Ryan. Uh, okay. He's, he's our head of character animation here. Uh, Doug Bennett.
1: Right, I know Doug.
0: Yeah, um, let's see who else. Patrick Osborne. Um, right, yep. Uh, let's some of our alumni who's been at Disney. I don't know if you'd know them quite as well. They're kind of newer guys. Uh, okay. um, but yeah, we've had some really, really great guests. So uh, just appreciate you taking the time.
1: No doubt, no, it's good. <laughs> appreciate you finally. Getting a chance to get around to me, I'm number 56, I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you gotta save the best for last,
0: right? Uh, that's no, what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm shutting
1: it down is what you're saying. <laughs>
0: no, <laughs> I'm gonna go out with the mic drop. No. <laughs> no. I appreciate you, I appreciate
1: you, I reach
0: out. Everett Downing, we've had Everett Downing on with us.
1: Yeah, that's my guy. Yes. All right, um,
0: let's see who else. I'm trying to think that you maybe you might know. Uh, LaShawn Thomas? Oh
1: uh, yeah, that's my boy. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, we've
0: had yeah, we've had some great guys on here. So yeah. Oh
1: yeah, good, man. Yeah, you're definitely a uh, well rounded then.
0: <laughs> cool. Trying to get some more ladies in here too. Um there you go. I got some we've had some throughout the time. I had one gal, um, and this is why I started using Zoom. I was using Skype for a while. Yeah. And uh it was a gal from Pixar and um the first, I think it was about the forty eighth podcast. First and the only time, right after I finished recording it, I look for the file and it says zero kilobytes. Wow! Ooh. It was I was mortified then. Oh, it was one of those things. And she was so hey, you don't worry about this and that. But I I just felt absolutely horrible. So yeah. Yeah, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> so where are you at right now? If you don't mind me asking.
1: Uh, we're Warner Brothers.
0: Oh, cool. Okay, and uh, what are you doing there?
1: Uh, developing developing a, a project here but while we're stewing and develop if you know anything about development sometimes it can be uh uh really great when you got momentum and then all of a sudden when you don't have much momentum it can develop itself into a very interesting purgatory <laughs> <You know? laughs> waiting for stuff you're like come on man so in this case i'm kind of right in the middle we're developing a cool project um hasn't been announced yet uh but we're having some uh some writing issues.
0: Now you have um, some background in writing. It looked like as well that I was uh, on your Yeah. Yeah. yeah well,
1: when I was, when I had my uh, TV show, I would jump in and uh, really help the guys kind of like, uh, I do sort of, what would you say? Bigger picture stuff. Okay. The real sort of intricate writing to the writers, but you know, in terms of, you know, tossing ideas around blue sky and stuff. Cool. Uh, big beats. That's sort of my kind of, it's, ex- to writing okay. and then some of the stuff on my is not necessarily completely true like for example I've never worked on uh, Silverhawks or Thundercats oh. sorry <laughs> uh, dude I'm sorry to disappoint you I can't, I can't even tell you how many times people come to my office and say you're Bruce Smith I'm like yeah and I'm thinking, oh yeah, you worked on. Oh, they're thinking, you know, proud family, baby, kids. You worked on Thundercats, my favorite. I'm like, oh man, no, that was the best guy. oh that's
0: hilarious. That was the best guy. I share, a, I share an office, a big office, with my brother here, and uh, I just was going through that. I, mean, I said that very thing. I said, hey, he worked on Silverhawks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Silverhawks. I don't know what Silver, Silverhawks is. I was like in the '80s, and I was, uh, I was a young. Cat working on some filmation stuff, uh, working at Don booth at the time, I think. Also, I was like, you know, uh, just getting my feet wet, so writing right. at that point wasn't necessarily my forte. Okay, yes, so, wow, good thing we got that worked out now,
0: yeah. Because then I scroll down, I'm like, Thundercats, too. This is my
1: guy, no, right? Yeah, let's, let's talk Thundercats for a second, Bruce. Oh, let's okay, because it'll be a second, right? Yeah. I mean, let me create some stories to kind of go into because I have no Thundercat experience. <laughs> I like the title sequence. The title sequence is cool. but Oh,
0: I, yeah. Uh, we'll jump into this because uh, I don't like taking up more time than uh, is needed because I know you guys have uh, busy schedules and life and family and things like that. So I really just, again, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, oh, I've yeah. seen you around uh, on Twitter and stuff like that. So it's really a cool opportunity to get
1: you in on this. Perfect. I'm trying to speak my mind on Twitter whenever I get a chance. Whenever something arouses my uh, general animation soul.
0: (laughs) Well, first off, I always like hearing how people kind of get into the industry. As I mentioned kind of beforehand, um, I was looking at your IMDB. Obviously, like you said, not everything's uh, completely accurate, but Mm -hmm. you've got obviously a huge, extensive, um, and diverse skill set there, whether it be from VizDev to... Um, you know, co-directing to supervising animator um, and on a lot of different projects here. So it's always neat for me to kind of see the beginnings there. So how did you get into the industry? Um, what made you kind of think, Hey, this is something I'd like to do things like that.
1: Wow. Well, I, you know, I guess I, I've been drawing since I was like maybe uh, five years old or something like okay. that. And, uh, and when I was a kid, my mom used to leave, uh, little notepads by the telephone. So in other words, she'd be off at work and, you know, we would have to take, you know, notes back in the day when there wasn't such a thing as answering services and stuff like Uh that. Take notes, who called this and that and the other, right? And when she would get home, she would notice that the drawing pads were pretty much all, or the pad, notepads were all (laughs) drawn up with my drawings, my bad doodles. Um, And she would sort of, you know, discipline me for drawing crazy stuff. But what I would do is like, that was my first sort of flipping thing. Mm -hmm. I would just like draw dots and dots on all the pages and watch them move around the page. You know what I mean? It's like flip them and magically these, you know, these sort of balls and stuff are just kind of bouncing and moving around. And that was the first time I sort of kind of discovered animation. Um, Then there was another unfortunate incident where, uh, (laughs) where there was this TV show called Winky Dink, right? You're probably way too young to know what Winky Dink is, but what it was was sort of the first kind of like television show that allowed you as the viewer to interact with Winky Dink. So, in other words, like, you know, here's Winky Dink TV show drawn in a very sort of uh, Ward J Ward type of style, very simplistic. And you know, Winky Dink is running away from the villain, let's just say in the episode. But now he's come across a, a cliff, and the only way he can get from one cliff to the other is if you, as the viewer, draws a bridge on your TV, you know, to get him from one place to the other. You draw the bridge and he, you know, runs across the bridge and now way hey, he gets away from the villain. Right. Uh, so, Hey man, I'm watching TV. I'm like, you know, 70 years <laughs> old or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, we needs a bridge. Let me just draw this bridge. I take this marker that I found and draw a bridge on my mom's TV set, you know? And uh, I remember uh, she came home one day and, and and but the problem was like I said you couldn't get it off. Well, what it was was you needed the Winky Dink drawing kit, you know, <laughs> to, uh, to actually do this task. Uh, and that would be like some simple acetate, I guess, that you would place on your television, you know, and the uh-huh. acetate and he goes across the bridge, and so would be it. Yeah. Well, listen, man, I'm from South Central Los Angeles. Can, ain't nobody buy me no Winky Dink drawing kit. You know what I'm so. Uh, <laughs> So I drew on the TV, and that thing didn't come off. And so I just remember, uh, you know, what did come off is my pants, the belt. And that's I right. Pants that day. So, <laughs> um, so, yeah. So from that point, my mom said, "Like, I need to find him an outlet." for this Sort of, you know, cartooning. You know, uh, thing that's this cartooning Jones that he has. So, um, my elementary school teacher found a school um, in Hollywood. That was sort of in the summer they would actually get free animation courses, oddly enough. That's killer. And uh, yeah, so that was you know, I was like seven or eight year olds taking summer animation courses. And that was sort of the first time I actually saw and experienced real animation for the first time. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. It was fun. It was it was it was fun. I made my first film like when I was like maybe ten years old. So a couple of summers later made a really interesting film you know that sort of breathed 70s i was actually actually drew nudity in the movie so back in the, 70s, <laughs> back in the 70s it was a thing called streaking right
0: yeah that's right
1: yeah man so uh so i actually just and it was sort of like that kind of impromptu thing that happened so in the middle of my cartoon i just created this impromptu streaker that ran across the screen and you're how, you're how old oh um, man i was like maybe nine years old you know <laughs>
0: So and, nine old uh, in the seventies, a nine year old could do that, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Right? But uh, but yeah, the the film is we'll never see the light of day. It's it's sort of tucked away neatly and uh, somewhere in my studio at home. Uh, That's but, awesome. Uh, but again, it, it just gave me that that Jones of understanding exactly what this medium is or what it could be. And listen, I the first Disney film I saw was 101 Dalmatians. and once I saw that, coupled with you know learning animation for the first time, I, I'm in.
0: You know? awesome. Yeah. Cause that's one of the things I was kind of curious is where people get that kind of light bulb moment that, Hey, this is something that I could do, you know?
1: Right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's a completely what it was for me. And, and, uh, uh, not knowing a whole lot about, you know, what's really entailed and, and just kind of the history of animation. I just know I was just a kid growing up loving stuff like the Flintstones and Jetsons and yeah, but I knew that that something was very different about a Disney film. Like, like those characters seem to breathe and look and feel very human, but in a different form. Mm-hmm. So I was completely like, "I got to find out what this is." You know? mm. So, yeah. what was your okay? So that's kind
0: of early on here, um, high schoolish. Were you involved in a lot of art classes then as well?
1: So through high school, it was always something that for me was kind of tucked in the back. I mean, people knew that I could draw, you know. People knew I drew cartoons and this uh-huh. and that, and the other. but I mean, you know, different things come to focus at that point. You know, I got into athletics and playing basketball, you know, uh, now I'm dating, you know, here come girls. So it, just, <laughs> it was just simply something that, um, that, that I stuck with, but naturally here comes high school graduation and the, the question of what do you want to do, you know, for your career. And I knew that what I want to do, nobody knew anything about, mm. um, uh, and animation was like, I need to find a school that actually does this type of thing. And I found Cal arts sort of on my own. Oh, wow. Um, and so, um, California city arts, if you know, is sort of like at yep. that time, this was, you know, whatever, 80, 1980 was sort of the Mecca of animation. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I applied there and, uh, uh, and got accepted. Listen, but my portfolio was very weak. I didn't know what a portfolio was or anything like that. I just gathered a group of drawings that I had done at home and submitted. And you know, thankfully, they saw that there was something there and that this kid had. Because when I got to college it was very eye-opening experience. So you know, just to give you just the the, the lay of the land. I mean, my classmates were, were guys who went on to direct, you know, movies like Beauty and the Beast, Lion King. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, 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 Lilo and Stitch um, like they were sort of the game changers in our business when mm. you think about it I mean yeah like, I think a lot of the artists guys like Rob Minkoff Chris Sanders wow. Chris Bailey Kelly Asbury um, Kevin Lima all these guys were my classmates wow that's you know? amazing uh, Kirk Wise Gary Trousdale you know these were guys that we I sort of sat across and was learning the medium mm. along with them but yeah some of these Amen. Already well prepared. You know, some guys had relationships with some of the nine old men and stuff like that already. Wow. You
0: know, now it's kind of funny. And this obviously pales in comparison to the guys that you're talking about, but I remember, um, cause I've gone through the program on I animate and the, one of the first things I remember when we uh, jumped in is people start posting some of their work and stuff like that. And it was one of those, Oh my goodness moments where it's like, you kind of really go, okay, I have to step up my game. Is that kind of how you felt, or was it one of those things that you kind of, you know, what were your thinking? I guess during that time.
1: Well, oh, man, no doubt. I, I remember a. Uh, <laughs> so, I remember class started. I was freshman. School started in September. By November, by by our Thanksgiving break, I my um, life drawing teacher pulled me aside, and and my life drawing teacher was a guy who worked on like you know, the, uh, dancing mushroom sequence of Fantasia. Like, <laughs> all of our teachers had links to all, to, mainly to Walt. Uh-huh. And all, also to a lot of the old school films that we saw on door as kids. So he was a real deal, this guy, Elmer Plummer. And he pulled me aside and he said, you know, my, dr- my life drawings were rather weak. And he said, look, I'm going to tell you straight up. If you don't get this, you don't understand this, you're not going to really get into this business. Mm. So that was literally two months in. And I remember after that, I really had to kind of, you know. Buckle down. Yeah, buckle down. And that's when I sort of discovered all-nighters and stuff like that. (laughs) CalArts was a unique school because really the focus was mainly on all the different animation disciplines. You don't really you know, get that in different schools. Like, you know, we didn't have – normal classroom settings with the exception of maybe once a week, we'd have normal classrooms, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, English and science and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and your weekends was all, was all animation, Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, be it, um, story, be it character design, animation layout. I mean, these were all things that we were taught, you know, for eight hours a day. That's pretty cool. You know, um, (laughs) And uh, so, and that's what made it really fun. And what was cool also was that all the artists there all had different disciplines. No one, you know, you had some guys who were really great at animation. Some guys who were really great at story. Some guys who were really great at layouts. Some guys who were just really incredible draftsmen that just didn't know where to adapt, hmm. you know, that skill set. So it was great to sort of like usurp a uh, you know knowledge from all your classmates. And what was cool too about the classmates that we were all giving you know what I mean? We're all sort of learning at the same time. So we're sort of internal struggle and, and you know, uh, everybody was willing to help everybody else to, to achieve a certain level of, uh, 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 of understanding what this medium was. Is that good? Yeah. I was going to say, so, so that was really sort of encouraging and not completely intimidating, you know, because there's some classes that, you know, listen, we just weren't going to be so great at our design teacher. Uh, Bill Moore straight up told us that, you know, there's a lot of stuff you're not going to understand until you leave school. Mm. And it was true. I mean, like, you know, Bill Moore taught, you know, the basics of, of the, and the intricacies of design, like, you know, not just character design, but design, which would go into how you would stage, how you would, um, uh, you're, your staging in your storyboards, how to tell a story, what's important, what guides your eye in terms of design and color, um, how color works, the science of color. I mean, all this stuff that you I kind of didn't understand. And, you know, I mean, he was the guy who you, you'd hang projects up. The legendary stuff with Bill Moore is like, you'd hang projects up in his classroom and he'd get pretty, you know, uh, he, he was like one of those characters out of Mad Men, the TV series, you know what I mean? Where he dressed like straight out of the fifties or something like that. You'd uh-huh. be smoking in the classroom and, and if he doesn't like your your, your design project that you turn in once a week, he would take a cigarette at the end of a cigarette and light your project on fire. Like, he's <laughs> that, You know what I mean? The <laughs> yeah. so I would be passed by one of my projects <laughs> on a time, and he looked at it, and it was awful. It was some color project, color design, shape project that we had to do, and I'm young, You know, he doesn't quite understand what we're doing yet. And I remember he took it, and he hung it upside down. He said, yeah, it looks fun. he's like you like apples how do you like them apples straight up you know you get humiliated (laughs) in that class it was probably the most uh challenging class uh that we've that we sort of all had out of it but there were guys in it who really got it like chris sanders understood it (laughs) golf understood the class at least they scored there's some weeks where you know you you wouldn't be the consistent winner in the class you know two weeks you win next week you're like in last place it was like (laughs) It was like Project Runway or some shit. You know I mean? <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Project Runway. You're the guy who gets eliminated. This <laughs> um, but uh, but nonetheless, like we learned a lot. But I knew early on that one of the 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 subjects that I really sort of gravitated to was animation. I mean, that was one thing that I knew was was animation. I knew how to to gather a certain amount of drawings and move them around. And then I had to understand acting and stuff okay. like that. I mean, there was levels to it. But once you understand just the simple kinetic nature of moving drawings, uh, that helped a lot. Okay. Yeah. What um, what
0: motivated you during that time to kind of keep going? Because obviously it sounded like it was pretty tough, you know? Uh, is it just uh, that, that drive that, hey, this is – I'm not doing anything else in my life this not I mean this is my goal this is what I'm doing here and and that keeping you pushed forward was it um like you mentioned a little bit earlier that the the people you were surrounded with uh just a strong work ethic you know what was it that kind of kept you
1: going? I think it was exactly that I think um there was no for me there was no plan B like mm-hmm. like this I'm here at the school for a reason like I'm here, I got accepted here I got something here it's mm-hmm. up to me at this point to really, you know, uh, keep the spark moving. And you know, to be honest, I think each with each project you would learn a little something that would give you a sense of like, okay, whew, you know, I do understand what this yeah. is, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was really that and, and and to be honest it's like I couldn't think of anything better better that I would be doing. It's like you know, um, man, I, like I said I come from LA. Uh, South Central LA. I remember the the idea of doing cartoons was alien to the people that you know that I grew up around. I mean, mm-hmm. literally, my mom thought that just like Archie Bunker, Fred Flintstone reported to a set every month. <laughs> you know, and he waited for the cameras to roll. and <laughs> That's kind of how what people perceived animation as being. Uh-huh. So, uh, uh, and, and I, I, for me, it was just like, this is, I love doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was a geek and a fan first, you know? And so getting a chance to sort of like, listen, this may sound corny, but like going into the studio and breathing in the wood desk was something that was like, it mm-hmm. was just germane. And what I was like wanting to achieve uh-huh. you know? uh-huh. hearing the pencil sharpeners and hearing the paper flip and just, taking a breath and looking around the studio and seeing everybody flipping papers and drawings and stuff. And it was like, this is really cool. You know? No. Yeah. Um, so it, it, that was just part of the fabric. I realized of who, and what I was going to be in this business. Gotcha. Yeah. Now,
0: now your mom, uh, supportive in this obviously because you were there, but what was she thinking during this time?
1: I think, in the beginning, my mom probably didn't know what the, you know, she didn't know if this was going to turn out anything. She okay. just, she knew the term starving artist. You know what I mean? Like that, she, you know, it's like, this boy going to starve. This boy going to starve. That's what she knew. So I had to, to really kind of help maybe disprove this theory, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, uh, yeah, I had nothing else to sort of like, you know, um, outside of just like showing her bits and pieces of what I was doing, which she still probably didn't understand until she saw my film after the freshman year.
0: Okay. She
1: saw that. Okay. Well then there is something here. There's some other people here that are doing just as crazy as he is. So I <laughs> guess there's something to this thing. So, uh, so yeah, so it it, 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 that was kind of the saving grace, I think. Yeah.
0: Cool. And then when she sees your name on the big screen, that's my boy's name. Right. <laughs> What's
2: that boy? I swear that boy, I didn't know he going to turn into nothing.
0: <laughs>
1: so, I, I can hear her voice in my head pretty much daily, right? <laughs> <You know?
0: laughs> um, so out of uh, CalArts, how quickly did you get your first gig? How, how did that okay. come transition? So,
1: so the interesting thing about CalArts is that it's a four-year school. But the way the trickle down effect works was that, you know, with CalArts at that time accepted like maybe 32, 33 students a year, right? So freshman year, you've got about 33 students. Sophomore year, you've got about 30 students. Uh, junior year, you've got about 12 students. Senior year, there's probably like maybe three or four students. Wow. Why are there so few people as, the, as you continue to push forward at CalArts? Because most people get picked out of the school to, uh, to to get a job. It's almost okay. like um, if this were, you know, sports, this were the NBA, like guys would go early, you know, into get the drafted. draft yep. it, it, to get a job. And, and what Disney would do is that they would have like this sort of apprentice program. So Disney was responsible for that too. It's like, in essence, CalArts is sort of like a Disney farm club. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. they would find the best people and, and, and give them summer internships, you know, kind of like, Uh, give them taste of what studio is and what it's like. It's like that. That's normally reserved, like, you know, the best four or five, you know, students. Um, And then after that, you've got the other students around town, uh, the other studios around town that are just simply, you know, hiring, you know, fresh blood, you know, for summer gigs and stuff like that also. Right. Right. So after my second year, um, my film got picked for the producer show. The producer show is when producers come to, the studio and actually view the work and, you know, pull you aside and say, Hey sir, I think you would, you know, we'd like to offer you a, a you know, an apprenticeship at the studio, blah, blah, blah. It's a big deal, right? Yeah. For, for the producer show. Now we had a thing called hot splices back in the day, right? Yeah. The hot splices actually, you were working on film and you, we'd actually have a, a splice gun and, and glue. Exactly what I said is like hot splice. So you got to learn how to hot splice and edit your, film together because like, you know, normally when you send your shots out, it's not any consecutive order. You have to just send your shots out and they get done and the films come back and get processed and you have to edit it together, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So me, you know, being, I guess not the best editor, I'm hot splicing my film together. And uh, so what happens is they would do a test run. And if your hot splice is broke, then you, you know, you do your best to splice it back together. But if your hot splice is broken in the middle of a show, then that means that affects all the other shows that may be behind the other films that may be behind your film or in front of your film or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So if your films break in the trial run, they're not going to show your film. So what happens my film breaks in the trial run. So I'm like, shit. And so at this time, um, they gave me my film back. And then on the bulletin board was an advertisement for a studio that's just starting up that's looking for animators, Studio Carter Mendez. So I'm like, all right, well, let me splice my film back together you know, and hustle it down to this new studio. So while the producer show's playing and everybody's at this, you know, producer show, I took my film along with maybe a handful of other guys who this film probably didn't make the cut or whatever, uh, down to this new studio and got hired as a, what I'm thinking as a summer gig, mm-hmm. you know, as an animator, which is rare also because like when you come out of school, you're going to be sweeping floors. You're going to be doing in-betweens. You're going to be doing those small things as uh-huh. an artist. Sort of get you indoctrinated in this business, but I got picked up as an animator, which was like, "Whoa, this is great!" Yeah, you know, animator summer gig. I'm making three hundred and fifty dollars a week. Cause this is fantastic. right? <laughs> so I'm like, "Cool," and I'll just go back to school for my third year, and I'll be all good. But I, you know, I get to actually make some money this summer instead of working at you know, uh, AMPM or whatever during summer, right? So, um, so I got that gig, and uh, and then when September came around. I just made the decision like, you know what? I'm having a great time. I'm animating. I'm actually, I got my foot in the door. Mm -hmm. Um, I looked at my financial package for the next year and it was like maybe 65% scholarship, but the rest of the money had probably come up out of my pocket with, I was like, "Ah, man, I'm here. So (laughs) I'm going to start rolling the dice and, you know, and so I accepted the job and it's still summertime. So <laughs> I'm still around. That's kind of how that happens. So I just kind of left after my second year, along with a lot of other guys. It kind of left after the second year too, uh-huh. which is normal. Like I ex- explained, like you know, yeah. normally when for the junior year, you know, it's, it's much smaller, you know, uh, turnout. Yeah, yeah. So lots of guys leave Cal Arts, and the, the truth of it is, I tell students this all the time too. It's like a degree in animation doesn't do much. Mm-hmm. It's, this this is really the one of the few, you know, occupations that's completely uh, talent based, skill based, yep. you yep. know, um, and you're you relied on to to bring it from a skill standpoint, not what a piece of paper tells you what you actually can do.
0: Right, right, yeah. absolutely. Um, now, how long were you at that? Was it, a, in it being a summer gig at that particular place? Or you said I didn't quite catch what You said it was called? yes. So that's another
1: story. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, um, you know, I'm thinking, okay, great, I'm gonna be an anime, this is me, I'm gonna be here for the rest of my life. You know, I have to be at Disney and have a career, I don't have to be, a, I'm gonna be here at Carter Mendez, right? And uh, so I remember coming to work one day and um, the director at the studio, um, I remember driving up and cops were outside. And I'm like, okay, what's going on here? And he was hemmed up against the wall. <laughs> And I was like, what's going on? So after the cops leave, you know, I asked uh, the guy, Phil, Phil Mendes, incredible artist, incredible. Like, you know, if you're ever interested in interviewing, finding old school, old hits, interview that have really great stories, you got to find Phil Mendez. Okay. Like, incredible artist, like crazy, crazy, great stories. <laughs> one of those renaissance man. He was a great designer, you know, work with Mill College studio. Wow. You never hear his name in the, in the archive of, of, of animation stuff, but incredible, uh, incredible art. Um, Very cool. And, uh, he was telling me that something funky is going on with the owner, Tom Carter. He doesn't know exactly what it is, but because I'm running the, the artistic side of the studio, they thought that I knew what was going on. I don't know. We'll find out. Blah, 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 right. But in the meantime, you know, we have a great time with Phil and, you know, some really great guys where I'm working with Trousdale, Chris Bailey, Chris Wall, uh, Kelly Asbury, a lot of those young guys come into the studio, like, really enjoying all this. So, then, I'd say about, like, maybe four months after that. So, I was at the studio uh, almost a year. Four months after that, I remember driving to the studio, and, uh, and all of a sudden, I, I drive up, and there's cops there again, and the gates were locked. So... I'm from L.A. again, you know, I got some, some, you know, I have this street instinct that just kind of kicks in right away. So I just jump back into my car and drive off. (laughs) Um, I don't need to be here. I was like, okay, that's, that's sort of the end of that gig. Whatever's happening. We're going to find out that this guy, Tom Carter was into money laundering. and I think it was actually, you know, part of the Ponzi scheme of, of of something that was going on in his world at the time. I don't know. It's kind of crazy, but that's how that first job ended. Oh
0: my goodness.
1: Yes. Um, and, uh, and that was sort of the first time you sort of like, okay, this is, this is the reality of this business. All these jobs are not going to last forever or whatever. Right. Had a fun run. And that's had fun done. fun run. I was trying to hit the pavement. But the, but the best thing about it was that, you know, I was hired as an animator and actually had animation, you know, um, for the first time in my portfolio as a mm-hmm. young kid, I'm like, you know, whatever, 19, 20 years old. And, um, uh and so that actually helped me get my next gig which was at uh Don blue Studios.
0: Oh okay, very cool.
1: Um yes, yeah, so <clears throat> we worked on um at that studio at the time we were working on the uh, Dragonslayer video games.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember that. So, yeah, so it was beautiful.
1: You have know, seen the latest uh, Stranger Things 2? You see that, you know, episode 1, it was over with the guys playing the dragon's Dragonslayer game. Right? Oh, I remember that in the arcades. Yeah. Oh man, yes. So uh so yeah, so we were we were brought on um uh, uh, to, uh, and and listen, at the time you got to figure that the only game in town was Disney doing full animation full Mm -hmm. you know, beautiful, gorgeous, luscious animation that we were taught. Disney was the only game in town. Yeah. you had some offshoots, you know, there was things happening around town like the, um, I'm not putting them in the same category, but you had some really great people working on them, Like the, 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 the Bagdasarians were doing the chipmunk movie. Mm -hmm. There was Care Bears movie, you know, um, and but nothing really was at the level of what Don Bluth was doing, he was just coming off of um, Secret and M, yeah. And uh, and everybody remembers how you know great you know visually that film was. And uh, and so to get a chance to sort of like work with Don and his crew, the tutelage of like John Pomeroy, who was a great animator at the time, um, was really, I mean, that was fantastic. I mean, to to uh, to to get a chance to see his approach to animation and Don's approach and and the thing was we were working on like fully full-blown testosterone-driven animation. I mean, people, you know, kids look at Princess Daphne and still, you know, still get aroused off of that, right? <laughs> Daphne, wow, that's the first character I've actually seen with nipples. Princess, <laughs> that's 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 pretty fantastic. <laughs> and then you got Dr. Daring jumping around and doing all these really great athletic things and All that animation was John Promroy, man. He was he was really fantastic, Mm. fantastic animator, and his design sense was really great. It was really simple. It spoke to me in terms of, of just my graphic nature of approaching a drawing. You know, Um, uh, he he had uh, interesting rules visually. You know, straights against curves and stuff like that. Nice. Sort of like, you know, understood and heard about that theory, and then the most key element that I learned was I remember I was animating a shot and as an animator working on a light board and my bottom light was on, on my light board I'm creating in-betweens so with my bottom light. Gary Goldman, who was uh, one of Don's right-hand men, came up the stairs and <laughs> looked at how I was animated. He's like, animate, you have the shot? He's like, yeah. He says, he told me, cut the bottom light off. It's like, no great animator animates with the bottom light on. I was like, really? He's like... Yeah, you'll do much better if you if you cut the light off. So from that point on, I never animated with the bottom light. I always animated with just simply the top light because he said what, and it was true, he says what you do is that you start to see and feel the shapes more, huh. you know. Um, and you learn how to create tighter in-betweens when you don't animate with the bottom light. You actually create drawings instead of in-betweens. Oh, interesting. You know? um, and so... I made it a point from that point to never use the bottom line. So he says, yeah, Milt never used the bottom line. So I listen what I look, when you look and step frame through any of Milt call scenes, mm-hmm. you, you can, or take a stack of his drawings and just pull a drawing out. And one of the things you notice that you never see an in-between, you always see a drawing. You mm-hmm. always see a pure drawing, no matter how you shuffle the deck, all you want to, and you, you know, his drawings are always drawings. And that's what I always admired about, Uh, milk calls work. So uh, I made it a point from that point. It's like, yes, all my drawings are going to be drawings. they are not going to be in between. It's not going to be that weird in between where, you know, it's like fingers are weird and eyes are weird just because it just simply needs to move from one drawing to the next. Interesting. Um, uh, All your drawings have to be living and breathing things on their own. Uh, And I learned that discipline and kept that with me this day. Very cool. Yeah. So, uh, Uh, So, yeah, the Don Blue thing was was really great from an artistic standpoint just because, you know, a lot of us guys were young 21-year-olds. And, yeah, we all want to jump and run and leap and do all that really cool animation, (laughs) you know, and and sort of, you know, save the world and beat up the villain and all that cool stuff. Yeah. I remember those shots. I used to envy uh, this animator. Dan Kinsey used to get all these shots where in the end of the Space Ace game, for example, there's you know, ace battling Borf, you know, and really cool fight scenes. And I'm a big, you know, sort of fight scene guy. You know, I love any action-oriented movie. And to get the fight scene, I've never had a chance to animate a fight scene in a movie before, you know. Because our movies don't necessarily allow fight scenes. Let's just be real. It's like, you know <laughs> What movie? What animated movie can you name right off the top of your head that's not called The Incredibles that has fight scenes? You know what I'm saying? They fall off a
0: cliff or something like that, huh? Yeah,
1: exactly. man. we don't <laughs> get that stuff. We don't get to do that stuff, which is another big issue about what we do in this business. But um, but I I just know that I remember him animating those scenes and how jealous I was that he really got a chance to jump in and have a blast animating these really crazy action scenes. I, I love that stuff. So, um, so yeah, so that was the uh, that was the next thing that I did.
0: Mm-hmm. How long were you
1: at Don Bluth? Oh, man, we were at Don Bluth Studios for, like, I'm saying, like, about a year and a half, almost okay. two years, I think. Uh, we left, I say we, because it was a band of us that were sort of like, you know, the guys from Cal Arts who, you know, were sort of angry that uh, we didn't get a chance to uh, to get all the great scenes, you know, which is arrogant, sort of, you know. I'd say we were arrogant, but I think we were sort of just kind of puffed up, ready to... Handle a lot more responsibility that was given to us, you know? Okay. And, uh, and I think we left right before American Tail. Like, American Tale was staffing up, and at that time they were moving to, um, they were moving to uh, Ireland. Oh, okay. And uh, they were like, hey, listen, we're going to go to Ireland and we're doing um, um, American Tail. We're not going to do all of it here. We're going to move to Ireland. And to be honest, I was like, you know, I ain't no black people in Ireland. <laughs>
0: Right. That's <laughs> yeah, kind of how that. Um,
1: you're
0: gonna, uh, not going to blend in too easily, Not nah, huh? really well,
1: so I guess that's not where I'm going to be spending my time. So, <laughs> so at that point, um, I jumped into uh, I jumped into Filmation's arms. Ah, <laughs> so, yeah, I laugh. I was just laughing with buddy Mike Chris about that today. How you know we were working on He-Man and She-Ra chapters in my life that I would like to skip over.
0: Um, uh, the nostalgia yeah. though it's got some great nostalgia
1: well yeah you know i mean i think what's funny now is you see those geico commercials with he-man and you know i haven't seen those yet and, oh that's crazy yeah it's just it's just interesting kind of like he- skeletor and he-man and just it just uh, pstd just like i freak out when i see that stuff
2: like,
1: ptsd <laughs> alert right oh shit there's he-man on the screen <laughs> get some clothes it on yeah, right. and, uh, it's like, it was like a drinking game with me. So yeah, we spent a lot of time at the bar, you know, uh, me, myself, Chris Wall, Will Finn. Uh, did, you,
0: did you learn how to animate fast there? Who was that? You learn how to animate fast
1: there? You know, we were in the cleanup. I was so like not, I was so not wanting to go to Ireland that I took a cleanup animation job. Okay, okay. So actually paid more. Really? You know, I was paying at the time, which was strange. That was the other guy huh. that would and He wasn't paying as rightfully as animators. You know? um, so, so, yeah, so we did that. And then at this point, you got to read this is sort of like mid 80s. And animation was kind of dead. Like Disney was almost closing its door at that point.
2: You
1: mm-hmm. know? Um, I'm sure people know that story about, yeah, guys were working on Cauldron. They finished Rescues Down Under or whatever, Fox and the Hound. <laughs> ron miller was running the place and it was just a whole different you know they weren't hiring and you had really great guys that were working on you know muppet babies you know what i yeah. mean <laughs> and bear, bear movie but, you know um and so uh so during that time it was like i was bouncing from the filmation i was doing freelance working uh with an offshoot disney group guys. I was working on all shoot Disney stuff, started getting commercials. Okay. Um, so that was really fun because I love, you know, watching commercials grow up and stuff like that growing up. And, um, so getting a chance to really sort of, I guess when you look at it, just kind of cultivating relationships around town, because as an animator, you kind of need a lot of people to know you, you know, if you're going to stay employed in a lot of different places. Okay. Um, which eventually led, uh, me into, um, to this project that we are working on at, I um, would just, it, it was Disney, but it was, again, sort of an offshoot. Bob Rogers, we were making a, uh, a film about the making of animation, and it was called Back to Neverland. Okay. Uh, it featured, um, it was a- animation live action directed by Jerry Reese, featured Robin Williams and Walter Cronkite, <clears throat> and that and Walter Cronkite, if you know, was an American journalist back, yep. in, famous journalist back yep. in the '60s, '70s. I'm talking about all you, young studs now. <laughs> um, when news wasn't fake news, and, <laughs> uh, and you know, he was sort of the the kind of aficionado of news, uh-huh. and he walked us through the process of animation. With Robin Williams, is sort of like a you know his being his uh, com- comedy relief, I guess you know. Uh-huh. And so Robin Williams at that time, you know, um, a comedian who everyone knew at the time, um, uh, you know, really manic style, you know, yep. wild style, yep. and which was really refreshing for animation because he has this sort of improv sensibility that for us as animators we love that sort of improv sense. Mm-hmm. And so um so I was hired by Jerry to be supervising animator on this project. And, awesome. Uh, uh, yeah, it was great. I mean, it was it was a great project, really fun. We shot the live action, in and eventually went through the animation. And 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 if you were to comb through the uh, comb through the the history of of that project and actually pull it up on YouTube, you would actually see a very handsome young black man playing the animator in that movie. That would be <laughs> myself. <laughs> I actually had hair back in the day. And had my Bobby Brown flat top. It.
0: Oh, there you go.
1: <laughs> uh, so uh, so yes, I actually got a chance to play an animator. What was cool about that was that Jerry Reese, you know we were casting all the the people that were working on the project ended up playing roles in the project because we knew animation we were the truth in that process, uh-huh, so, when the studio was asking Jerry to cast for an animator, Jerry's like, "I got animators who know how to flip scenes and know how to really make that stuff look and feel real.
0: They don't have to so act I know it. guys yeah.
1: not shoot the camera the area, and make it feel real, so uh so it was it was uh, it was uh, to this day I thank Jerry for that because you know at that time I can't think of any people of color that was represented in an animation at any you know on any level. So uh so I I you know listen getting a chance to sort of play that people think I actually animated all of that stuff that I actually flipped but I didn't do that um, but I <laughs> I made the anime. I made a lot of the Captain Hook stuff in that, which was fun because Peter Pan was one of my favorite movies. Very cool. Growing up and getting a chance to, to animate uh, Captain Hook was was really, uh, yeah, man, it was great. I, I had a great time working on the film. Then that led me back into Disney to work on projects like Roger Rabbit, working mm. Roger Rabbit shorts. Um, and, uh, man, <clears throat> that first stint at Disney was probably like maybe three years. Okay. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Now was that Return to Neverland was that live action mix?
1: Live action mixed with animation.
0: Okay. So, yeah, so live
1: action kind of I wouldn't say book in bookend in pieces, but it opens it in live action and eventually each step takes you into the story of Okay. You know, Robin Williams ending up as one of the lost boys in Peter Pan and into the clutches of Captain Hook and having to escape with the help of you know, the Lost uh, Boys and Wendy and Tinkerbell. You know what I mean? It was just uh-huh. it was a really fun piece. What's just cool about that is because you, you
0: said you went on to Roger Rabbit, which was that same kind of hybrid there too.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, Roger Rabbit was fun because that was at the time where now the industry is starting to feel a certain rebirth. Hmm. And Roger Rabbit was being produced at the same time Little Mermaid was being produced. Oh, okay. So, um, so when both of those films came out, I think Roger Rabbit came out before Mermaid. That's when the Renaissance started. Um, uh, Roger Rabbit obviously was a box office hit and sort of was was also a, a technological hit, right. animation, and and gave birth to not just Roger Rabbit, but also um, uh, to all these old cartoon characters that you know <laughs> were in the film. Also, but yeah. Bunny, uh, you know, Donald Duck and Daffy Duck playing together in a movie—that was a big <laughs> deal. You know <laughs> what I mean? Um, and we come to find out that um, uh, that those characters were contractually like were contractually signed to the film. So in other words, it's like you know you had all these different studios that were vying to get their their films into the uh, sorry about that to get their films into the um, get their characters into the film. So when you look at at um, at the movie again, you'll notice that for instance, MGM characters you have droopy you know mm-hmm. he's an mgm character yeah but the characters that don't show up you know are tom and jerry you know, you know like you can have droopy but you can't have tom and jerry you know what i mean it's too like, much money you have, yeah you can have betty boop in this movie from from the fleischer studios mm-hmm. you can have betty boop in this movie but you can't have popeye mm. <laughs> you know? so there was a lot of uh there was a lot of really odd negotiating going on around town to make sure that these that these um that these characters are in this film. That's why you'll never see a Roger Rabbit two. uh It's because all the negotiations that have to go on to, to, for studios to put their characters in this movie. That's why you didn't see Woody it. Woodpecker in the movie. You know, what I
0: mean? <laughs> reminds me a little bit of uh, Wreck It Ralph when you see all these video game characters too from yes, different studios. Right. So
1: those characters are they are they are paid players in that movie. Yeah. So uh, uh, so yeah, you got to get the rights to these characters. Uh, so um, and you know who knows who's holding the rights to these guys nowadays? You know what I mean? It's like. Um, um, you know, Warner Brothers now owns the rights to, to all those Hanna-Barbera characters, you know? Uh, you okay. So, I mean, the, the rights are sort of spread out. I mean, we all know the argument of Oswald and, you know, of where he is and who actually owns the rights to Oswald. Disney had to buy the rights back to Oswald, I believe. Oh, okay. So, stuff like that. But that was, but again, fun film to work on. Um, amazing crew working on that film. Um, and like I said, it sort of led to the rebirth Of animation, so you know, for 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 Disney, the 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 Little Mermaid, which they didn't know was going to be hit or not, you know, um, uh, allowed Beauty and the Beast. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Which allowed Aladdin. So at that point, you know, we're we're really uh, shooting all cylinders here.
0: What was something that you learned during that time that you kind of took with you on that career, or uh, with you on your career?
1: I think maybe mainly for me um, at that point. Artistically, um, there was a certain sophisticated sophistication to animation okay. um, that that again was sort of being um, put forward. There was a certain sophistication in storytelling and what the directors were after. When you think of, um, you know, we're now moving into uh, musicals and stuff like that with um, uh, with *Mermaid and Beauty and Beast*, and, and for me, it was this is the time where. It, I hearken back to where it's like, okay, this is a great time to be in the industry, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, but, but where is the African American voice in this business right now? Right. Um, you know, it's like, I, 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 love working on those films, but I felt like at this point when you're designing characters, you are creating characters, work on these films, it's good to be sort of inclusive thinking, inclusive, thinking, you know, a bit more wider in terms of the characters that you're using to tell your stories with. And I don't think that anyone was really thinking that way, you know? Gotcha. Um, Okay. So I felt like it was just just sort of like this urge inside of me to sort of try to include characters of color in what we're doing moving forward. Um, Now, mind you, you know, it's like we're at a time where where history wasn't necessarily kind to African-Americans specifically in terms of animation. Um, And so it was tough for artists to... Try to create characters of color to, to help drive the narrative of their stories. I get gotcha. that. Um, so I was after trying to create or be involved in projects that spoke in that way. Mm. So um, uh, so that's kind of when baby kids start to crawl into town. Okay. You know, um, the Hudland brothers had the project. Initially, we're we're going to do you know this project with Robin Harris, who's a you know uh, great comedian. You know, in L.A., he had, this, uh, the, he had this comedy shop in L.A. called the Comedy Act Theater. i familiar with it. I'm from L.A. Knew Robin Harris, knew his routine. And uh, and they had this project after they did House Party. They wanted to do Baby's Kids as a TV series, just as an offshoot vehicle mm-hmm. for Robin Harris. Um, but then Robin Harris passed suddenly, and the Huddland brothers were left with still wanting to do it trying to find a way to do it and they reggie being a big animation fan thought as animation being an outlet for that mm. so uh so at the time we we're at hyperion we we're doing a project called rover dangerfield you were at where i had hyperion pictures so we were doing okay. a project called rover dangerfield okay yeah
0: i remember yeah. uh, who did i interview that did that worked on that one. Oh, um was it tim Ingersoll? Did you work with Timmy yourself? I may,
1: have, I may have, the name sounds familiar.
0: He was at Cal Arts as well beforehand, but he ended up going to DreamWorks. Um, so you may not have, uh, but yeah, I thought he, he mentioned something like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, so we were doing this great, project. it was a Rodney Dangerfield project, which is, yeah. again, I was sort of on the hunt for projects that I thought didn't necessarily breathe in a children's lane, you know?
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, and, uh, and so I was brought on as a sequence director, um, for, uh, uh, for Rover Dangerfield, and sort of got my feet wet in terms of directing, just the, just the general bones of of being involved in driving sequences and stuff like that from a directing standpoint. So um, so when the guys brought the project to the studio, they were like, hey, we've been hunting around town for all these, you know, just to try to to pitch this project to get made. But we realized we step in the studio. There's no one of color here who understands, hey, who Robin Harris is. You know, and understands the humor of what it is, and so we land here. We meet. I knew Robin Harris. I knew the routine. It was just sort of a natural <laughs> marriage. Because you, know? um, you got to understand, man. It's like in our business, animation, even still, probably represents maybe you know, three to five percent African American. So you chop up that three to five percent of actual people who actually can have, who actually have the skill set of doing something like, uh-huh. that, right? Yeah. So you you now coming across a very small number of people that actually sort of can give you uh, the black experience, so to speak. You know? <laughs> so, um, uh, so thankfully, you know, we met, we hit it off. It was great. And I just started in on it pretty much immediately just started designing characters. And initially we were again, looking at the scope as sort of a television show mm-hmm. That's how pitching, a television show, babies, kids, Robin Harris, who's sort of like, if I were to uh, explain it to our audience, sort of like, uh, he was, he was Bernie Mac before Bernie Mac. <laughs> <That was laughs> the best way to, to describe Robin Harris, both from Chicago and, and uh, both have a certain patois, you know, in terms of their delivery. It's very rhythmic. Sometimes people just have a hard time understanding Bernie Mac, but you understand the rhythm of the joke, you know, and you, and it's just funny. Yeah. You know? um, so, so yes, I started designing and we started creating the world of Baby's kids and, had some really great art director, Doug Walker, uh, at Disney was jumped, in, started creating some really great stuff for me. Fred Klein started creating some really great stuff. I started designing characters and just kind of creating this world. And, um, at the time Hyperion had a three picture deal with Paramount. And so Brandon Tartikoff was running the studio at the time. And so he came into the studio, saw the projects on the wall, sort of like show and tell. And he immediately gravitated to, what is this? And he was referencing the Baby's Kids stuff that was on the wall. I said, yes, Baby's Kids, is a project we're doing for TV. And as the story goes, Brandon Tartaro says, let's make this into a movie. Wow. <laughs> so that's kind of how it happened. You know? Man, that's Yeah, fantastic. we had a very small budget to make, make a very small film. Uh, Reggie wrote fantastic and funny script. And uh, we found some actors to replicate you know, the character, because Robin Harris wasn't around, so we found Faison Love, who did a fantastic job at mm. recreating Robin Harris. People think Robin, that Robin Harris actually did the voice. <laughs> you no, know, Faison. You guys, if, if there's your audience out there familiar with the movie Friday, Faison played Big Worm. So, <laughs> just throwing that out there, just in case you got to Google and stuff. That's all. Faison, very funny, hilarious comedian.
0: Um, now, he did this based upon the artwork that you did? that. Yes. The- That's amazing.
1: All the artwork just on the wall as a presentation piece. And we just said, let's roll with that.
0: What do you think made him gravitate towards it? Just out of curiosity.
1: Different. I mean, I think right away it's like, I listen, I was, it, it, it had a vibe of something familiar. One of the things I wanted to do is make the characters feel familiar to you, but just in a different world. Gotcha. Like I said, I loved the Flintstones growing up. So the characters felt very much like a Hanna-Barbera, you know, uh, if, if, if Hanna-Barbera was from Watts, you know, <laughs> you know is that a Jesse Jesse Barbara and a, you know, Ethra Hammond? H- yeah. So I, I kind of really made it feel like it was very familiar to, you. and um, and I think that's probably what gravitated, how we gravitated to it. I mean, like I, I made the design simple just because I had to stay simple in terms of thinking about production flow. You know what I mean? and um uh and uh, you know listen i it was my it, i had a ball doing it and i guess it just showed up on the wall because um it was my first time getting a chance to draw people of color from just uh, you know huge diaspora of areas i was grabbing yeah um, yeah so uh normally you don't get that when you you know it's like any tv show right now it's like you always get that one african-american character that has to carry you know the 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 all things African American on his back throughout the show. <laughs> but now in this case, you know you've got uh, uh, a, whole, a whole you, know, community, all, huh? you know, a whole community of folks that you can paint him with every stroke of of what we know of what it is to to be African American. So that was that. And I think the thrill of that sort of like it just felt different.
0: Now, what was your role in that?
1: So I was director. Okay. Um, so just get you know just started doing design stuff like that and it just kind of guided the crew from there. You
0: know? now okay so as an animator one of your first things you do is you start kind of doing research you know what was it for you because you mentioned that this was um you were able to be kind of picked up and click so to speak because you're african-american how right. did you um what's what i'm looking for kind of pass that on so to speak to your crew there who wasn't right
1: <laughs> how did you, you, know, that get, you was, know. That was, that's a good question because it um, was part of the challenge I guess of, of, um, of working on, on a film like that because again you know we the only thing that we had was our history on African American characters so you know so now you're going black, back to Cole Black and the Seven Dwarves or you know um, you know, the Crows from Dumbo or you mm. know pick, pick Your Poison all right. that stuff, the Tex Avery stuff Chuck Jones stuff. Everybody was guilty of, you know, of, you know, putting something on the screen that, and mind you, I don't think all of it was done out of, um, uh, the Clown. Yeah, the back yeah. of black I think a lot of what Bob Clampett was doing was sort of embracing. He used to hang out in the jazz circuit mm. in LA back in the day. And he right. was simply trying to grab that energy and put it on the screen. Yeah. So I get that. Um, But, you know, a lot of people were really afraid to touch it, mainly because, like, look at Song of the South. It still ain't come out. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, stuff like that. I get that. So you had to eliminate the toxins, Mm. so to speak. And uh, so, to be honest, man, there were some guys on the crew that didn't want to work on the movie, A, because they thought the characters were – the the kids themselves represented gang characters. In other words, they thought they represented a gang culture that they simply didn't want to be part of. Gotcha. but that wasn't what it was. Like you have these characters growing up, get, they throwing up gang size. No, they're not throwing up gang size. This is how these kids, if you look at you and this is a time where, you know, this is 1992 video, you know, you had videos out now, you know, now you're talking about, you had, just think about like the, uh, uh culture, you know, black people just on our own, we define the culture. Mm. So the culture at the time was, you know,
0: Tupac um, and
1: yeah, Tupac, Def Row, uh-huh. ECE, Dr. Yeah. Trey. Yeah. Look at their videos. Look at what they're doing. We were trying to capture just the idea of these kids and not gang members because I grew up across the street from Bay Bay's kids, technically. So I know uh. those 90-nosed kids. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so um, uh, research all my life. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, so yes, yeah, so I knew who these characters <laughs> were, but, but trying to put your crew at ease to understand that, you know, some – Some people don't necessarily. Let's be real. Some people don't necessarily interact with black people on a daily, so so they don't know exactly how to handle some of these designs and characters that are from them, giving that authentic feel. Right, right. Um, I remember one dude. I'm not going to name his name, but uh, uh, he. We were doing tests, you know, animation tests, just general calisthenics. You know what I mean? It's like run cycles, walk cycles, blah blah blah. Right. This one dude did a test. Were one of the characters where he literally had his knuckles dragging on the ground. And, <laughs> yeah, 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 man. I was like, <laughs> "Duh!" I was like, "Really, man? Really? You think this? I think it's funny." He was me he said he thought it was funny. I was like, "Man, I will slap the living shit out of you." you know? <laughs> that will be yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. You know what I'm saying? I, it was, it was, it was somewhat in Now, mind you, that's just one person in the
0: group. I understand. Um, yeah,
1: and and mind you, I think I, I honestly. Think that he thought it was funny, like I really just looking at he didn't think it was funny, offensive, he, he just thought, think yeah, it was offensive or anything at all. So, there was that education, I think, of just kind of like, hey guys, let's kind of figure out what works and what doesn't work, so I can let you guys know any other. So, there was that thing. Um, but for the most part, I think the guys were I a really great crew, and guys were really enthusiastic about doing something different, which was great, cool, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, it wasn't the musical in the most musical sense, and uh. Uh, and I think, you know, and there's so many things I would have done different on that movie now, you know? Um, but I'm, I'm happy with what it is and what it represents. And the, the most interesting thing for me is like, that was maybe, that was 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's just interesting to me. It tells you sort of like, you know, when I go back to the, the idea of like, "Eh, as industries represent three, 5% African-American, we don't necessarily have any African-American execs that are looking in this direction. But it's been 25 years, and there's been nothing. No one's even tried to let's dive into the African American culture and try to, you know, create a story that actually, you know, uh, feels, you know, um, uh, more authentic. And you know, let's tell a story with an African American character as lead. Let's do something along those lines, right? No one's really done that yet, except for me. I, I say that not in a bragging sense. I'm saying that I did Baby's Kids and I did The Proud Family. Like I've covered TV and I've covered movies, you know? <laughs> um, and and we still can't seem to get, they, we still can't seem to gain traction on uh, just the general conceit of like really having an African American character or characters, you know, um, drive your story. You know, it's like yeah,
0: always, with the exception of maybe
1: well, um, there's has been Captain Underpants. You know, there's Captain Pants had the one character that Kevin Hart played. I was played, thinking Princess
0: and the Frog, though.
1: Princess and the Frog was, yeah, it was that movie also. Right. Um, uh, but, you know.
0: Yeah, not a whole lot.
1: But nothing, well, I always joke about Princess and the Frog, sort of like, we have Princess and the Frog, which is African-American. Then the movie that follows Tangled, which was no African-American. Like, 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 it was in an imaginary place. You know, with a woman whose hair can grow, you know, 300 <laughs> yards. So when you do that, you open up the envelope to include everybody because this is an imaginary world. If mm. a girl's hair can grow 300 yards long, like you can have all sorts of people in this movie helping you tell the story. But uh. not one single one. Then you follow that up with with Frozen, and it's like you know, this is a story where a girl can actually you know ice over this entire place. <laughs> so it's a fantasy. Doesn't matter what it can happen anywhere. It, uh. you can have anybody here helping you tell the story? But you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's devoid of, of, of inclusion, I would say. Gotcha. Um, and I would just, you know, it's, it's always been my hope to, like, just simply be inclusive. Like, every project that I try to work on that I actually have to head, whatever that is, to lead, all my projects have always been about inclusion. Like, I, you know, even if it, there are African Americans that are leading the story, I always make sure that there are other characters of color that can carry the narrative, too, from a television standpoint. We did that with Baby's kids. Oh, I'm sorry, we did that with Proud Family. Um, and it uh, just makes it more interesting and more real when you've got different points of view, you know, on things. And that was the fun part about doing Proud Family is that we made sure we had lots of different points of view, you know, on the topics and the stories that we were trying to tell.
0: Gotcha. That's very cool. Very neat. So now um, that was out before, kind of on your own before back going back to Disney and working yeah. on something like Princess and Frog and stuff? Mm-hmm. How did you get back there?
1: So let's see. So through baby's kids, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Worked on Space Jam, another black film. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Michael Jordan.
1: I joke. I said Michael Jordan and Daffy Duck. Daffy Duck was black, <laughs> black duck. So, you know, was <laughs> so it, was, it was really after Space Jam where um, I got the call to come and work Daffy on uh, a and, uh, and that's what brought me back to studio the second time. Working okay. with Tarzan, Chris Buck, Kevin Lima, great directors, really great friends. And I um, uh, got a chance to work with Kerchick. Now, my history had just been working on, you know, characters that are just of a serious nature or of a, of a silly nature, you know, broad animation. I love that stuff. You know, Roger Rabbit and all the characters from, you know, various kids and all that fun stuff. Drawing style and everything like that. Yeah, but, yeah. Kerchak was just very different like he had to be very serious you know and so that i appreciate because it really sort of helped stretch you know my um uh uh draftsmanship styles and and acting it, it it really sort of uh helped me sort of you know bring another dimension to the acting
0: very nice um any mentors there that kind of helped you with that
1: aspect of Absolutely man Glenn King was incredible okay um you know, Glenn King's drawings were, were just like masterpieces. Like his storyboards were just like incredible pieces of work. Like you wish the film looked like his drawings. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it, it's incredible. The moments that he would create on his boards, you couldn't even script it or he would, if you scripted it, his interpretation of it was just masterful. Just, just, just incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some really great animators in that movie, you know, Ken Duncan, Mm-hmm. Uh, Randy Haycock, uh, oh Sergio Pablo's is the shit. You know, like mm-hmm. Sergio. I know a lot of folks probably listen. Sergio's a real deal. I mean, like the the, the just you know his his draftsmanship alone is fantastic. But his sense of timing, you know, you got as a as a as a two D artist, you have to your abilities will stop as far as your draftsmanship will take you. You uh-huh. know what I mean? It's uh-huh. like you can't draw certain things. You need to keep shit simple. You know uh-huh. what I mean? And Sergio can give you very complex characters because he can draw (laughs) Uh Um, and his timing and his ability to see, you know, as an animator, you know, if you really can see the performance in your head, see a very sophisticated performance in your head, that's the only way you're gonna be able to get it down on paper. you know, most of the time we start a shot, we're looking at just simply a white sheet of paper, Mm -hmm. start thumbnailing thumbnail and stuff and we create this performance. Uh, but you, it's up to you as an animator to have that imagination, to be able to see a performance beyond just the standard, you know, okie doke, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Um, Yeah. You have to be an entertainer at the end of the day. And, uh, no matter what your shot, no matter what shot you have as an animator, there's always some juice in it somewhere. No matter what it is, there's always a different way to approach it. And all you have to do is look at live action to understand that, you know, um, even if it's a look, if it's a simple look, if it's a turn... If it's a take, something that of alerted your character off screen, there's always different ways to approach it that isn't in your normal bag of tricks that will make it feel unique and different. And that's your job as an animator, not to be always going back to your bag of tricks. Dietrichs, yep. yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. And Sergio's one of those guys.
0: I do have a question for you. I, I posted this on Twitter and asked, uh, and I have Mark Hendry. He asked the question, he said, I would like to know any particular things you did to make Kierczyk feel strong and heavy. Were uh, were there any specific methods you used to re- uh, to research or study reference?
1: Oh man, you know the thing with Kerchak was like I got some really great drawings from Glenn and I forget our director. I think Paul Felix gave us some stuff. I can't think of the guy's name. Oh man, oh jeez, I remember it afterwards. <laughs> um, just got some incredible like ape drawings that really sort of like helped me find my way in the beginning um, to really add some some solid. You know, listen, I, I don't, I'm not the greatest draftsman at all, and I can find little tricks and things like that, shortcuts in between that, mm-hmm. that help get to the long version. I'd shortcut some things and understand the long version, if that makes any kind of sense. Uh, so I'd understand how to draw him, how to draw him more convincing first to kind of give you that, that weight and that sort of uh, – because uh, that was necessary. I mean, he's the character where if he's not as serious as he seems, then, then Tarzan's task – won't feel as as heavy as it needs to be. Uh-huh. So I had to make sure that I matched up with Glenn and all the the, <laughs> the, the drama that he was bringing to Tarzan. Human uh-huh. shots when they were together in shots and they had to fight or discuss or whatever. And then there was this dying scene in the end where it had to really feel serious. And, yeah, you know, and I had to. I had some fun with that shot. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, but yeah, it was first thing was really drawing it because, and then the other side was like really. Trying to find footage because you know anything about gorillas? You go to the zoo and watch a gorilla; he'll just sit and stare. Yeah, you know what I mean, he won't give you any action. Whatsoever. Yeah, a little chimpanzees stuff like that will do some stuff, but if a gorilla knows you're watching him, you and um, I remember just like watching this gorilla man, and he was just like looking off to the like he knew I was looking at him, but he was just like looking just past me. He's not gonna give me nothing. I'm shooting footage. I'm shooting footage. And he just kind of gets up and walks to the other side, turns his back to me, you know but he left like a pile of crap, you know, right there. <laughs> I right, we got up from it. like, oh, okay, He's a, Here's your footage.
0: Yeah, here's your footage right here.
1: Okay, kids. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so I couldn't get much traction from that. So a lot of stuff I just simply had to kind of, you know, okay, let me look at this film and see this fake guy in a grill outfit and then try to, you know. Um, uh, Do what
0: felt natural. Yeah.
1: Yeah so i didn't have much to grasp onto and uh just kind of roll with just general gorilla movement and stuff like that for the most part and just kind of use my imagination after all
0: yeah no youtube at that time huh
1: no dog which is like we had that uh what's the book of movement that the, the kinetic book that, that all animators sort of reference i can't think of the one that just simply has walk cycles of humans and animals and yeah, yeah
0: yeah I, I can't think of it offhand either. either
1: but um Yeah, just had that and uh, just to understand this, the general, you know, uh, mechanics of Mm -hmm. how an ape would move and how the weight shifts and stuff like that. Yeah. Studied a lot of that just to make the weight believable and all of that stuff. And then just kind of went from there and just kind of roll with it.
0: Cool. Thank you. Um, how did you, are we good on time?
1: Yeah, I got about another 20 minutes.
0: Perfect. Thank you. This has been great. Um, on emperor's new groove, uh, Princess and the Frog, I looked on your, IDB, your IMDB and you were a supervising animator there. Yeah. How did you, what was the uh, route for you to be moved up in those positions?
1: So coming off of Tarzan, um, I was offered a couple of different films. Uh, what was one? Was uh, was a Treasure Planet, maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lilo and Stitch. And Lilo and Stitch was sort of, um, it was, it was a role that required me to move to Florida. I wasn't trying to do that. And Treasure plan was just a small role. And I, and I thought coming off of Kerchak, I'm like, I'm ready to do something, you know, bigger, fun. And that's when Mark Dindle, they were just rebooting, um, um, uh, from kingdom of the sun to emperor's new groove, you know? Okay. And Mark, me and Mark, we go back a ways and Mark said, well, Hey, why don't you handle a Kerchak? I'm just sort like straight man to uh, Cusco.
2: <laughs>
1: I saw the drawing style of Joe Moser's designs. And, uh, was like, yeah, let's do this. This looks fine. So, uh, so I got to a crew of about eight or nine people's big crew, mainly because we're trying to get it done really quick, you know? Uh, okay. Um, and, uh, and that was fun because the character, had, you know, there was certain seriousness to him, but that, the graphic nature of design led to an easy way to draw. But I wanted that sophisticated animation again, sort of being a huge fan of little call and trying to grasp, you know, uh, the sort of, you know, wearing the wristband of what would milk do, you know, <laughs> so, those like that thing, and uh, uh, had a fun time. I mean, I, I really had a fun time working on that film. It was so funny and very different from all the other films that were being made there at the time. It was, it was uh, very Chuck Jonesy, you know. Okay, was, yeah, yeah. Very non-Disney feeling movie. Yeah, you know?
0: definitely different look. Yeah, and feel.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it was fun, and that was a really sort of a you know kudos to Mark for having something breathe a bit differently, you know, at studio, uh, not following the, the normal patterns of, of, uh, storytelling. Gotcha.
0: Um, and then from there, how quickly did you get, move on to *Princess of the frog?
1: So from there, that's actually when I, at the end of that movie is when I was pitching my TV show. Okay. Um, and, uh, and we got the, the, um, Pitched it. Nickelodeon wanted to do a pilot. So that's when I left the studio. I was like, well, I can't do both. I'm going to, I'm going to go all in on this TV show right now.
0: And that so, was uh proud family or that was proud family. Okay. Yes.
1: So, uh, so that was 2001. So I came back to the studio after having my own studio for about seven years, came back when I got a call from Ron and John saying, Hey, we got this project. Why don't you come see, and it was Princess and Frog. And so they just rolled it out to me. And they were like, look, which character would you want to do in this movie? I'm like, <laughs> wow. I'm like, hey, that sounds a whole lot different from Treasure Planet. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, they they respected delay. So I was good with that. So um, so I was like, this villain, obviously, I mean, you can't go wrong with a Disney villain. Yeah, yeah. You know? And uh, uh, so that's how Facilier fell in my lap. And, and I knew right away that he was going to be a very different Yeah. character, you know.
0: Now watching that video, and we'll link it on uh, the blog where we post the podcast, It from watching that video that you had on your Twitter, you got to design the character, come up with the the look and feel?
1: So, yeah. So the way that works is, the way it works at Disney from a hand-drawn standpoint is that um, there's VizDev,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, where the guys, you know, I think the VizDev the artists, everybody sort of takes a crack at all the characters, you know? Uh-huh. So we kind of arrive at all the sweet spots in the characters. This looks good. This drawing looks good. This drawing looks good. So now it's up to the animator to take, you know, all these different versions and kind of mush them up, you know, uh-huh. and uh, create a character that you feel like you can drive that is married with the style of the film. And that's always the problem in a lot of these movies. Like, you know, it's like taking all those different great biz because biz drawings are always fantastic. And now making it like production friendly. Okay. So you lose a lot of things, you know what I mean? You lose a lot of things trying to, to, to solidify it, to, to fit in a uniform style of the film. Okay. Um, you know, uh,
0: that's an interesting challenge for you then.
1: It is a challenge, challenge for all the animators because all the animators are, are given that, um, are given that opportunity to do that. So, um, so, so it just becomes a very, how would you say, uh, you're trying to marry your drawings to the other guys. You know what I mean? So it's like, I have to make sure that when Tiana's on the screen, she looks like she belongs in the same film as Facility. Right. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so when, um, I, you know, to be honest, totally honest for me, that's one of the drawbacks for princess and frog is that some of the characters feel like they don't necessarily belong in the same film. Okay. Um, and that's one of the, the things I liked about like working on Emperor's New Groove, for example, because you have one designer, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Who actually can take your drawings, but you can do it in reverse, kind of reverse engineer it. Take your engine, take your drawings. Now he draws over those drawings mm. and now fits them within the style of the film. Okay. you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's the approach that I would take. Let the animators kind of do whatever they want to do it to, to, to get the animated concept that they want to get. Yeah. Now I'm gonna give it to my main guy who's gonna draw over and marry all these characters together to feel like they all belong in the same world.
0: Now, design wise, I think Dr. Facilier is absolutely amazing. So was there anything that you felt was lost getting it ready getting it production ready? (sighs) Or do you feel like
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. I think um, you know, sometimes you gotta hit the ground running. I think in a lot of cases, I think scene one. Of Doctor Facilier and my final scene of Doctor Facilier, two different characters. Completely. Okay, <laughs> you probably would never know, but visually, I'm probably drawing two different characters.
0: Okay, I will have to watch it again.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's um, a bit. Yeah, and but the thing is that we aren't doing the film in chronological order either. Yeah, so yeah. I really would know what my last scene was. I mean? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You got me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but but I think, um, and that happens with all the animators. I'm not unique in that sense. I think all the animators. Would say you know there was a drawing arc and in, in their character because they knew the character. You're getting better and better, yeah. Getting better and better, you starting to know the character, starting to know how to draw them, what things to do to draw, what attitudes that you get, you get away with, stuff like that. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I think is what every it's what every film. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, real quick, because well, I know uh, don't want to take up too more of your time here. Cool. Again, you've been a supervising animator. You've co-directed. You've directed. You've been a biz dev artist, um, character designer. Are there mm-hmm. That is an amazing uh, career to date here. Are there any areas that you uh, enjoyed more or um, any things that have stood out in that lifespan to date so far in um, those kind of roles? You
1: know, I think um, you mentioned all that. I was, to a, um, I was talking to a classroom, I think a little while ago, and I talked about how important it is to learn more than one discipline. Okay, Like, for example, I, you know, as an animator, I learned story because me storyboarding characters helped tell the story for and form my animation. You know what I mean? So uh-huh. you understood how to sort of tell story. Um, character designer sort of came as like, okay, I need, I need to create a character that I think can, that I can actually animate, that's actually equipped for the animation that I want to do. It's almost like I equate it to like, a, if you're a race car driver, if you're given a shitty car, you know what I mean? It's like, you're not going to be able to drive it worth a damn, even if you're a great race car driver. Mm-hmm. So that race car driver, if he's involved in designing the car that he needs, he knows exactly what he, he needs. What, yeah, yeah. And now he hits the highway and he can go, you know, 200 miles an hour because he's got the car that he was involved in designing. Gotcha. So in that case, it's the same thing. It's like, I think Milt Call is a great designer and people responded to those designs from an animation standpoint because he made it ready for you as an animator. Mm. There's no excuse for you to mess up this scene because these drawings are are fantastic. Uh You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because he understands all the design cues and everything that's necessary to 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 act with this character. Mm -hmm. Um, So I learned that as a necessity. Those three disciplines dovetail into each other. Uh So I think you know it it really kind of helps elongate my career in a sense. Oh, absolutely, yes. uh, uh, because people know me for these things, they know me as as a designer, they know me as an animator, they know me as a story artist and a director. All those things kind of dovetail into directing because mm-hmm. you know <clears> you, <throat> you have to understand how to tell a story. storyboard artist, you know how to tell a story. Disney picks all their directors from the storyboard, <laughs> from the you know from the story crew, not necessarily from the animator crew or anything like that. Right now, right. they go straight from story into directing. So, um, uh, so all that all that helps, you know, in terms of uh, having you know um uh skill sets various skill sets gotcha uh all can be rewarding to be honest you know um i love even if i'm directing i love getting involved in all those all those areas Mm. you know i don't like to just simply dictate as a director you know it's like i like to like let me explain this as a drawing you know let me board this out for you so you can see what i'm doing cool let me design this character so you can see what you know how we need to how big we need to make his hands so they can be more, you know, ready to act with and stuff like that. Or Very cool. design his face and design the eyes so we can understand how a character needs to communicate. Um, yeah, all that stuff is just simply, is necessary. Oh. Um, uh, and also like I say artists, you know, artists speak artists, you know what I mean? It's like guys communicate that way. You know I mean? I learned just working with a lot of Korean artists. We didn't speak the same language, but if I can put a piece of paper down and draw it for you, they understand it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. (laughs) So uh, so it's, it's it's the best way to be bilingual is, you know, pencil to the paper. (laughs) Um, And uh, uh, so that's been helpful, I think also. And, uh, uh, and also, man, listen, I I think um, I tend not to, to, I love making a film where everyone's involved and again, it's like, everyone has a piece of this, you know, everyone owns this and Mm -hmm. all ideas are really good ideas. You know, Um, uh, when we, when I was at uh, DTS, we're doing these shorts and we had a term that one of the artists, uh, one of the writers coined, you know, when you blue sky an idea, but we're not going to blue sky idea. We're going to brew sky this idea <laughs> because I'd just be coming out of left field with some of the craziest shit ever. You know what I mean? You can't be scared to like throw the most ignorant stuff up against the wall uh-huh. because you don't know who's going to latch onto it and say, Hey, you know,
0: run ah, with it from there.
1: It's really crazy. But if we did this with this and that, and now it's, you know, now it's back in a place we actually can do something.
0: With. That's awesome.
1: So, uh, uh, so yeah, so that was a, that was a term that you know, maybe say, okay, thanks for that. But I mean, it's true. I think, I think the greatest ideas come out of a place where you just aren't afraid to just like, you know, throw, you know, the, 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 most bizarre stuff up against the wall and see what, what matters. And yeah. that helps too. And that, that actually loosens up your room to let them know that anything kind of goes and let's just go for it. Cool. Yeah. All right.
0: Last question here. Um, kind of dovetailing on that. Is there anything that you feel like, Hey, I'd still like to do in the future or do you feel like, Hey, I've kind of, I'm enjoying the ride now. Mm -hmm. I've kind of had a chance to do a variety of things. I'm enjoying what I'm doing now. I'm enjoying, you know, whatever else may come up, but, or do you have certain other goals that you still like, I'd still like to be able to do the X
1: Man, I have so much stuff I want to do. Like, especially now that, um, that animation, it's so, I mean, is sort of at, at the king of entertainment right now. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. um, And now there's so many stories that are, that are being told, and thankfully, you know, you 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 thank your lucky stars for a place like Pixar because they really opened up, you know, the 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 storytelling, you know, id of of animation. Right. So, right. I mean, the risks that they take in terms of telling stories, and just so how satisfying a lot of the films that they do are, you know. Um, it just made animation such an acceptable medium, mm-hmm. um, that now you, 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 we, we kind of cherry pick off a lot of what Pixar does. You uh-huh. know? That's okay. Uh, because they recognize it. And I'm sure that, that, you know, uh, that they start to elevate their game even more so. I mean, yeah, literally sure. I'm when I saw the Incredibles, when I was like, that was like a, a game changer for me. It was like, uh-huh. I fucking cried. <laughs> I fucking cried because I didn't work on it for one thing. But, and, um, and just the other, just because I knew this was a film I've been waiting on for such a long time. Uh-huh. And not only is it just like, it just, you know, and again, it's just like they had Frozone in there. I it just, there's it resonated with me. It's like, Oh good. It's like, here's a guy who's just as super as Mr. Incredible. Uh-huh. You know, we don't make a big deal about it. He's just there. That's you know just I mean? buddy.
0: Yeah. They're, they're Yeah.
1: Perfect. It's like, yeah, come. we just can't make more movies like that. Like, like you see, it can work.
0: Like, yeah, it can
1: work in theory. Um, so, um, so just because of that, I feel like there's lots of ideas that are just sitting in my, you know, in my little silly, simple head that, that, and my heart <laughs> and my heart that, that I feel like, um, you know, now's the time to really start, you know, uh, flexing, you know, the, the flexing my, my muscle, and, and getting stuff out there. So yeah, I, I'm inspired, man. I'm, I'm cool. really inspired to do lots of uh, really cool things. I'm still young. So
0: that, yeah, absolutely. And it's, <laughs> I, I was hoping that, you know, didn't come across the other way. I'm just looking at your, your are what you've accomplished thus far and it's just been absolutely amazing.
1: I'll never die. I'm, I'm still going.
0: <laughs> and the <laughs> other thing is too, you know, you look at, um, how the industry's changed in regards. To, and I brought this up in another podcast, you know, with Amazon, uh, prime and Netflix and yep. uh, Hulu and I, I, you know, uh, YouTube red and things of that nature. It's yep. opened up an opportunity for additional type of stuff like that. Indeed. So.
1: Indeed. I mean, that, that's what's, that's what's great. It's like all these different outlets now that are looking for content. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I think a lot a lot more people are gonna get shots now to, to really do and create some really cool stuff that, that breaks animation out of that sort of lack of a better word, kid genre. You know what I mean? It's right. like um there's been some, you know, projects that have been made that shows that an audience will accept, you know, a, a projects that are a bit more mature. You know, like a sausage party or whatever. But 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 there's so many different things to do in the realm of telling a story. Right. Um that I think um when you have movies like that come out and make a hundred million dollars at the box office, it makes people sort of, oh, okay, well, that actually worked, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, and it just leads to hopefully what we would hope would be a potpourri of ideas that would just simply be you know coming into into this medium and opening up the uh, uh, you know o- opening up everybody's uh, idea of what an animated film is or what an animated TV show is or whatever. Right, right. Um, that really helps expand the medium. Yeah. What we want right now. Yeah.
0: Very cool. Well, cool. Bruce, I greatly, greatly appreciate your time. This has been an awesome podcast. Yeah. Um, Hi,
1: Larry. Uh, I appreciate you reaching out, man. It's been
0: fun. Thank you very much. Well, I look forward to maybe at some other time uh, either meeting you in person, maybe having another podcast. But yeah, just thank you very much. Appreciate the time. Yes,
1: sir. Thank you, man. Very All pretty- right.
0: Hey, take care.